0: Hello, and welcome to The Potential State. My name is Dr. Assel Romanelli, and today I'm very excited to host my friend, author, educator, therapist, David Lester, and this wonderful occasion of his first book, Jewish Marriage, The Ceremony, The First Year, and The Journey That Follows. So thank you for coming. It's a pleasure to be here. I've known you for many, many years. Uh, We we work together at the same mental health clinic, a bibliotherapist, Um, I was thinking first, maybe tell a little bit to the audience kind of who you are and kind of how did you end up writing this book. Mm -hmm.
1: So I feel like my entire life there have been three fields that I've been playing in. Um, The first is the field of yeshiva, Judaism, Hasidut studies. I spent many, many years in yeshiva in high school and in Hesda yeshiva, and I loved learning deeply in that world. second world is the world of literature. My father's an author I love books, novels, poetry. I did an MA in creative writing. I love the sensitivity to words um, that um, one can develop. The third field is that of psychology and therapy. I um, say bibliotherapy and work. We worked together for five years in the mental health clinic. Um, And I see my life, um, and especially this book, is trying to integrate those three. Mm. Um, This book has its deepest roots in Judaism in the traditions of the ceremony itself, in the Hasidic and biblical texts that I try and elucidate. Um, There are a lot of really deep psychotherapeutic and also couples therapy insights that I think I learned a lot from reading and also from you and our conversations over the years that are in this book. And also I try and bring uh, bring these ideas in a language that's uh, accessible and also sensitive.
0: And tell me, so... Out of all the books you could have written, because you have a lot of different interests, and you're also doing your PhD now, perhaps you could add a little bit about that. Why this book? Um, this book
1: grew out of uh, work in the field. I worked as a marriage educator at Tel Torah for many years. And the idea was that couples would come to their wedding, and they wouldn't know what was going on. So we came in at Tel Torah, and it's like we should prepare these couples not only for the ceremony, we should use the way they prepare for the so many to help them prepare for life. So I would meet for them three times to talk about the ceremony and show the ways in which the ceremony teaches us about life, teaches teaches us about the stepping stones of marriage itself that we should lay down before creating a home together. Now, I would also meet with couples after the wedding, Um, and this is a way to really bring Jewish wisdom and the needs of young couples together, because I think with insight, spiritual and psychological insight, a lot of things can be a lot easier.
0: I mean... So me and Galit, my wife, we went to you and did mm-hmm. this course. And I think the thing I remember most—that was eight years ago, eight nine years ago—was really to be mindful of the ceremony, not just to outsource it to the rabbi who's going to kind of go through the emotions, but actually kind of think about it and try to be as present as possible. In a, ironically, it's it's a very spiritual moment, but it's so logistical. There's so mm-hmm. many. There's so much noise.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, so many couples get caught up in the logistics, in the dress, the food, the parents, and that's important to get the details down sure. correctly. But this book, I hope if the couple reads it two months before or a week before their wedding, that when the ceremony begins, they'll be able to, be, to do the switch and be like, oh, this is really important. I understand what's going on. This is really beautiful. This is the first day of the rest of our lives.
0: And tell me, so based on your experience, I mean, you were doing this for a few years, being a marriage educator, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about all the books. Some of them are here about marriage and relationships. How is this book different than the other books?
1: Um, so number one, this, the first section of this book focuses on the ceremony. And it talks about the ceremony. The, the Jewish way, ceremony. The Jewish wedding ceremony, which is unique and special and amazing. Um, no other book has done that yet. So if a couple wants to know what's going on in the ceremony, but not just in terms of Jewish law, where do I need to be? What, what's the meaning? How, what's the significance? What's the symbolism going on? Why should I care about this? Why is my story going to be intertwined into the different laws and recitations of blessings? I mean, to really get excited about the ceremony, this is the book. And number two, I think there's a lot of psychological depth in this book that sets it apart, sets it on a different level from other books about, other books about Shalom Bayed. I mean, other books come from a psychological approach that's very, um, getting along. This book is more about deepening. Going deep into my own self, and into the relationship, and really growing within marriage.
0: I see. So can, can you just say the process of writing this book, kind of bringing together the different parts of you, the educator, um, the Jewish scholar, therapist, tell me a little bit, how did you how did you construct that combination?
1: Writing the, this book was an eight-year process. Wow. Um, I love this book. I love every word of it. Um, The process, first of all, of writing this book began from my marriage. I got married 13 years ago, and I've learned a lot. Mm. And I'm really, really excited um, to share some of the things I've learned with the world. Um, I feel like there are certain things that maybe could have been easier for me in the beginning, and I, I think I get to share some of that. So first of all, the writing began from my life as a husband. As a husband, I make mistakes and I'm really good at things and we misunderstand each other. And all of that informed what I shared in the book. Um, and the second of all, um, the writing of the book went through many rewrites. It was a process of really honing my ideas, refining my ideas about what spiritual insights am I meeting in the text and how are they relevant but in an existential real way to the life of a married couple. I'm trying to make that connection between the intellectual world of Judaism, and the experience of being married, that, that, was, the, that, that was eight years. And eight years spent very
0: well. So, I mean, I think this is a good layer of it. To like. So how is the book built? Like, how Who can use it? Who should be using it? And how can you use your book?
1: So first of all, um, couples. The engaged couple needs to buy this book so that they know what the ceremony is going to be about. But not only engaged couples. Newlyweds and those that have been together for a while Need to read this book because it will give them, I want to say, not only insight but also, I think, some relief. Because I know, as a married person, sometimes there's certain tensions I go through and I feel very, very alone. So this book, I think, will help couples be like, "Oh, I'm not alone in this. What we're going through makes sense. This argument we're having is something that other people have." One of the things I included in the book are exercises. So my dream is that couples sit down with this book and read it together, do a chavruta over it and use the book to, to talk about themselves, to use the book as a springboard for the personal conversations that they need to have. The couples I would work with in workshops, I would say the most important part of our workshop hopefully happens after you leave this room.
0: This is actually for couples to work on themselves, not with their therapist or their rabbi. First of all, with themselves. The second group I really
1: um, hope will buy this book are rabbis, therapists, and educators. I think people who work with couples will use this book and I think if they recommend it to couples and the couples come back to them after reading the book, the conversations they have together will be able to start on a whole different topic.
0: Say more about that because I know as a couple therapists, like a lot of therapists won't necessarily want to outsource it to the book because they say every couple is so different mm-hmm. and you don't want to just give everyone, you know, it's not one solution, one, fit, one size mm-hmm. fits all. Let's say a little bit about that. How can helping professionals, especially ones working with young couples, kind of use this? So I don't think this book should replace therapy. Nothing replaces therapy.
1: Therapy is a relationship. And there's something healing about a therapeutic relationship when at its best. With that said, as a couple, I think there are so many things that we're chewing on and working on. And to be able to use a book um, in an intimate setting is also special. Just to sit down at night with my wife and read a chapter or two and discuss, and, and to keep that within that close setting, I think also is irreplaceable.
0: It sounds to me also that some of these exercises can be relevant for couples after they're married as well.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the title really tried to um, focus on a large time
0: time span
1: the ceremony, the first year, and the journey that follows. The book is
0: relevant for all those stages. Because they they really, you know, in the Jewish tradition, the first year is the year where you're supposed to be just with your wife and kind of rebuild that. The first year is about creating the
1: foundations of. And I think that even though it's very special and unique and important to focus on that during the first 365 days, creating a good foundation is something to, to renew. Um, so that's why I think a couple who's married for 30 years can get a lot out of this
0: book. So I want to ask you actually, I want to back to the, to the actual ceremony and for the people listening and watching. Mm-hmm. Um, could you maybe just give a, a rough outline how the stages of the ceremony, maybe how do you, like what's the deeper psychological, spiritual, if you just give kind of an overview. Okay. okay.
1: Um, I'll point out a couple of things. I mean, I go on for this for like 100 pages. <laughs> I'm going to give you a taste.
0: Yeah, please. Um,
1: yeah. For example, one of the wild things about the Jewish wedding ceremony is that the bride and groom don't show up together. The bride's, bride's often her corner and the groom's often his corner. Yeah. according to Jewish law, they're not supposed to see each other for a whole week. It's wild. They're they they're, they're there to be together,
0: right? Right.
1: So one of the things I talk about in the book is I think there's a beautiful choreography in the Jewish wedding ceremony. I have a groom approaches his bride and then covers her face.
0: He covers her face, Covers right. her
1: face, which is also I talked about
0: in the book. Right.
1: And also then how the bride approaches um, her groom who waits for her under the chuppah. And this sort of going back and forth, this approaching and then going away. This whole dance I think has to do with. Um, resembling or rem- reminding ourselves of the dating stage when we were dating we were unique individuals we had our own autonomy and standing and I think that's brought into the wedding ceremony in a very playful and creative way um, and to see that the Jewish wedding ceremony which is about a union has room for individual journeys at least mm-hmm. in the beginning I think is one of the beauties of the Jewish wedding ceremony the Jewish wedding ceremony has other pieces. It has a kidushin, which comes before the reading of the Ketubah. It has a nisu'in, which comes after the reading of the Ketubah. And there are a number of blessings that I think, first of all, according to Jewish law, need to happen. But deeper than that, tell the new couple about all kinds of things, about working after the wedding, about what it means to be harmonious together, about what, about we, what real joy is. And I think if, if the couple, through this book, can really listen to the, the nuances of the text and the choreography of the ceremony, they'll have insight for the next decades to mm.
0: So you're saying, if, I, want, I, want actually like, I want, like this idea of the choreography. So there's the near and far, seeing, not seeing, in the beginning, then mm. we're under the chuppah, and then you're talking about the two stages, the kibushim, mm. which in English we would call it.
1: Um, technically it's the engagement. So We're actually no. getting engaged on the chuppah and okay. then we're
0: getting married. Can you say about a little bit about that shift like it's it's really interesting that they're both happening as we're getting married,'re getting engaged in then like I'm talking more about the spirit like how do you see that? How do you understand I mean I'm sure it's also more in the book, but like so one of the fascinating things in Judaism is that that is that there are these two
1: stages there's an engagement and there's a wedding um once upon a time, a thousand of years ago, there were a couple of months that would separate like we have today usually, right? There's an engagement, yeah. and you wait a couple of months, and there's the wedding. For all kinds of reasons, they're brought together under the, the chuppah. Um, what's interesting about the engagement, according to Jewish law, is that I am obligated to be with one, this, with my wife, but we're not enabled to be with each other physically yet. We're together, but we're not allowed to be together physically. Only after the wedding are we allowed to, are we allowed to be together physically. That is fascinating. Judaism created this space where I am deeply connected with my beloved, but we're not allowed to be together physically. I think there's so much to learn from that. That space, I mean, it's a space that I feel like in modern times sometimes goes away. It's a very delicate space. I'm with you, but we're not together fully. We're together more spiritually, more mentally in the area of promise and commitment. One of the gifts, I think, of this delicate and sensitive space has to do with respect. Mm. I am totally committed to my life, um, but I'm not going to get anything out of it right now. I'm not going to totally fulfill all of my hopes and dreams right now. I'm committed to you, and you are who you are. And I think that in different ways, comes up within marriage, right? I, I see my partner often through my own needs, which is okay, that's what, that's what we're there for. With that said, there are moments in marriage where I think it is called upon us to step back a little bit and say, oh, who are you? Oh, what, 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 what can I give you before asking myself you know, what my needs are? Um, what don't I know about you yet? That being together but being separate I think it's one of the secrets of happiness.
0: All right, that's certainly fascinating. I want to uh, dive into that more. I want to, well, before we kind of read an extra and kind of discuss it live, what else did I not ask you about this book that you think is relevant for people watching this game that are contemplating why or, or, contemplating about this book? Like, what's another thing I didn't ask you that you think? the average person there would be saying, well, nah, we're obviously going to do it, da-da-da, we, you know, we talk a lot, we communicate, we're good friends, mm-hmm. which most couples think before they get married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say another thing, that another
1: dream I have for this book,
0: yeah.
1: is that people um, through their marriage um, want to feel more connected to tradition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which is, and I think Judaism has a lot to offer from couplehood. Um, I think that through reading this book, people will be able to see that a lot of their experiences, a lot of things they're chewing on, debating, having questions about, there's a lot of wisdom in our sources that has also been dealing with similar issues. I think that for the couples I've worked with has been revelatory. Because it's like, oh, I'm, I'm not so alone. Judaism has a lot to offer. Judaism is really deep stuff. Um, so that's another connection I hope people are able
0: to make. I think what's also interesting, I know your work, is like, you make it very accessible for partners that are, you know, maybe just basically converted or, you know, that it's very entry-level, it's very welcoming.
1: I worked very, very hard to make sure that somebody with no background in Judaism would be able to read this book.
0: And it sounds like you've managed, on one hand, to do it very entry-level and accessible and the other not be serious enough that rabbis and educators and therapists would see it as
1: One of my uh, editors, uh, Rabbi Haber, he said, this is very simple and very deep. That's very hard to
0: do. So I think what we'll do now is we're going to go live, in a sense, you're going to read me an excerpt that I've never heard, and we'll kind of have a discussion, and I think I'm going to let what you're saying land, and we'll have kind of uh, an improvised uh, discussion about this, about this. Fantastic.
1: Um, so the story I want to share with you is a story of Rabbi Elimelech Melijat, a Hasidic rabbi. Um, and once upon a time, he had a student, and the student just got married, um, but he was having trouble getting, he and his wife weren't getting pregnant. Um, so they come to the rabbi, he comes to the rabbi, he comes to his teacher, and the teacher says to the father, tell me, how do you behave with your wife? Do you sit securely and serenely? The student replied, We sit in love and fondness and affection, thank God. The holy rabbi responded, Indeed, our holy Torah commanded us to live together quietly and serenely. However, if your love has grown so much that your love has never ceased even for a moment, this is the matter that will cause the hindrance from the fruit of the womb. And that is why your salvation is far away. And thus accept my advice. Go to your home and see to it that you, slightly detach the love between you. Let it go for a short, short while until you see that your wife as well will be angry and incensed opposite you. Then, immediately after this come back and love her as before. In this way, salvation will come soon. So the student hears the advice of his rabbi. He goes home and he forces an argument. It wasn't the most real thing going on, but the rabbi said, And they argue, it wasn't so comfortable. And then they reconcile. And then he goes back to the Rebbe. And he says, Rebbe, guess what? We're pregnant. So the Rebbe says, Do not think that I commanded you to fight, God forbid. All that I told you is what our Holy Torah hinted at with Jacob in the verses, and Jacob got angry. There's this famous biblical story where Rachel approaches her husband and says, Give me children, if not, I will die. Then Jacob says, but I'm not in place of God, but I can give you children, right? What was Rachel's sin and transgression in her words to Jacob? Why did Jacob get so angry? We should not criticize someone for what they say while in pain. Rather, Jacob saw that their love together is the reason that would hinder the fruit of the womb. And Jacob slightly separated the reins of love on purpose. And then God heard Rachel's prayer and opened her womb. So the Rebbe is basically identifying this fertility that wasn't happening with a fertility, a psychological fertility that wasn't going on. And I talk about it in the book in the following sense, and I'd love to hear your response. Rabbi Elimelech seems to be teaching us that it is important not to remain in a symbiotic state of love. In symbiosis, we want whatever our partner wants and vice versa. Sometimes we think that being in constant agreement with our spouse is what is expected of us. Sometimes we are afraid to enter the discomfort of disagreeing and the loneliness of holding a position that is not immediately accepted. However, Rabbi Elimelech seems to be teaching us that being in a state of total and constant agreement is inauthentic and unsustainable. Mm. Marriage is richer when two unique individuals are not afraid to bring their thoughts and feelings. It is important to note that arguing also turns up the temperature in the relationship. When done constructively, arguing can be a way of communicating how much we care about our marriage, about certain issues. We argue because we have a dream about the direction we want our marriage and our lives to follow. Sharing our dreams not as a suggestion, but as a deep need, expresses how invested we are in our life together. Expressing ourselves with urgency can rejuvenate a relationship, bringing a fertility into our lives that can be both physical and psychological.
0: Hmm. Wow. I'm letting it land a little bit. I guess when you were speaking, um, the two things I was thinking about, one was, would be um, the mm-hmm. Bader and Pearson have the four stages of any marriage. Mm-hmm. first one would be symbiosis, symbiosis, like you were describing, and then we go into differentiation, mm-hmm. okay, where we're starting to see the differences between us. That will usually happen through fighting and arguing, through allowing a space, mm-hmm. like Krishnaji calls a crucible. Mm-hmm. And the next level is practicing. We go out to the world Last stage is rapprochement, coming back home. Mm-hmm. And that's based on Mahler's stage, it's the same thing like a, like an infant does. And I was thinking, what you're saying is mm-hmm. so what, basically, the story, what's happened, the rabbi's telling them it's time to, time to graduate from synthesis and to differentiate. Mm-hmm. And differentiation always happens through arguing, mm-hmm. through accentuating the differences. Mm-hmm. I thought what was really interesting is I mean, you know, getting pregnant is a symbol, right? Mm-hmm. For the next Absolutely. evolution, for the next marriage, for the growth, for the next. Of themselves, as partners, as humans, as people, and I thought it was interesting that he's saying I'm not I'm not recommending you try it, but I'm recommending you find a difference.
1: I would love to talk about that differentiation because I'm I, I come back to that, and I'm not sure I understand the depth of what he's saying because he's saying I want to loosen the reins of love, right? And it's like I didn't want you to argue. I want keep to loosen the reins of love. So there seems like there's certain destructive stuff that can go on. There's other more differentiating stuff that can go on, and maybe they're not the same. Maybe they get mixed up sometimes. But it seems like there's a path towards differentiation, which is uncomfortable, and there's arguing, and there's disagreements, and there's a difference. But maybe there's other things that are destructive that we can try and stay away from. I wanted to ask you about that. As a couples therapist, I was curious. So,
0: Just this week a woman of, in couple therapy she said I, and they've been married for 25 years mm-hmm. I, I just wish my husband would, would intuit what I'm feeling
1: mm.
0: why do I need to tell him if I like this or if I don't like this or I'm sad now or why can't he see and understand mm-hmm. and this woman was oh, in her 50s already and I was thinking about in my point of view that that's holding on to a symbiotic love mm. now it's It's not bad or good. It's we all start from there. Mm -hmm. Some couples manage to stay all the way there. Mm -hmm. and Pearson says there's two types of couples. There's the symbiotic-symbiotic couples, the ones that never fight. Mm -hmm. We always speak in plural. We're happy. We're going. Because there's no space for differences. Because there's a fear that if I bring my difference, you won't love me, you'll leave Mm -hmm. me. And the other, the the shadow side of that is is the hostile symbiotic. Mm -hmm. The hostile dependence. Like we're so symbiotic that we keep fighting all the time. Mm Very okay. so the symbiosis can go, can go to either, either we never argue or we always argue but we'll argue about just about everything not, it's, not, it's not a deep conflict it's just like we're just arguing for the sake of argument because we cannot deal with the differences so I think when you're, when you're speaking now about that it, it, and I'm going back to that woman okay. so I'm sitting there and telling her that's a beautiful fantasy okay. the question is are you, ready, are you ready to evolve to a more aware marriage where in that way I realize that I do need to scaffold for my partner and my husband. Mm-hmm. I do need to progress it because it's different, because he doesn't see the world the same way as mm-hmm. I do. So yeah. is that being more in love? Is that loosening the reins of love? Or is that actually allowing a, a deeper love?
1: Uh, it seems like what Rabbi I and mean, is talking about is loosening the reins of symbiotic
0: love. Yeah. And, and I... symbiotic love keeps you small because what is symbiotic love? Mm-hmm. What's the original symbiosis is being with my mom. We all want to go back to the be connected with, you know, umbilical cord to a mom. And that's, that's like, as like, like essential, like, want.
1: I want to say symbiotic love feels so good. It feels so good. I just, I want to keep that real, yeah. right? Losing the range of symbiotic love, it's like, we can talk about it as therapists, it's important, right?
0: right. Well, I get it, right?
1: Of course, like, I want to stay in this, you know, peaceful right. area. We need peace. Right.
0: And we all want that. The price we pay for that, though, is we're we're, we're babies.
1: Mm-hmm. I think we're also babies, and we're also untrue to ourselves. Right. In a relationship, if I'm constantly keeping the peace, there's certain pieces of myself that I'm throwing by the wayside.
0: So. Right, because if, if I'm maintaining, if it's if it's peace at all cost, then I'm not going to bring different shades of myself that my partner doesn't buy exactly. So I'll tone down my humor, my sexuality, my aggression. Mm-hmm. But then over time, what's happening is I feel like I can't be myself. Symbiotic love locks me in a specific role with w- which I came into the marriage. Mm-hmm. And what's happening over time that you know all things must pass, all things must change. Esther Perez says we're going to be married a few times in our life. Mm-hmm. The question is with the same partner. Right. That kind of makes me think about your book is perhaps this can read every time you're renegotiating your marriage. Absolutely.
1: Right, yeah, it's like the wedding ceremony. It looks like we need to go through it a couple of times.
0: Right, because we're always different. And I think, Loosening the reins of symbiotic love, which actually means letting yourself get married again. Mm-hmm. But this time, who am I now? And
1: mm-hmm. this question, I feel like, is one of the deepest questions of marriage. And I say this is David Lester, the husband, right now. How do I say really true to myself, but really intimate with my partner? It's, it's like, and, I, I and I'm not complete with saying, sometimes we're going to be close, and sometimes I'm going to need to do my thing. No, I want to be fully present with my wife. But I want to invite her to be fully present and not be threatened by that. And I want us to be to build one home together. I feel like that's that's a life's
0: work. And I think like that concept, which Bowen talks about in Schnarch, is called differentiation. Mm-hmm. It's not a differentiation of beta and person, but differentiation of my ability to be myself, connected to my values, my beliefs, mm-hmm. feelings, and be intimate. And that, that is a life's work that which never ends. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking also about how can we leverage the different, not only our Jewish tradition, but the ceremony, and and books, and theories, and there's a lot of wisdom out there, and how do we keep working on that, but realizing, and I think your quote is really interesting because you chose a quote about conflict.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You could have chosen a zillion quotes about yeah. harmony, yeah. and peace, and love, and yeah. I mean, you chose something about that, and I think my experience here in the front lines working with couples, mm-hmm. where we're not talking about peace and love and harmony, we're actually yeah. talking about the differences. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's where marriage happens. Like there's this Falling in love is great. We're a little bit passive in that. But when we have to show up, when we have to renew our commitment, that's when I become a man. I'll also say, coming back to the book for a second, um, what an amazing life's work to marry one person and invest all of my energy to continually deepening up. Right. If reading this book can be part of that, great. But that's that's the assignment.
0: Mm-hmm. That's the dream. That's the dream. You know, Carl Whitaker talks about family therapists. He said so a person who's not in an intimate relationship or married is a is a handicap
1: mm-hmm.
0: because he or she will never uh, see certain parts of themselves. Won't won't be able to do complete work on who they are mm-hmm. because there's no mirror. There's no Isla in the build. Absolutely. And if we're thinking about that, if that is like. The stage of your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about this book as kind of a, a really important a guide or a tool for you to better understand what's happening there. And perhaps, if I'm thinking, but also the way you quoted in the ceremony, the first year, and if we bring in together the ceremony, the first year as the symbiotic love,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? The first mm-hmm. year, you're supposed to be always together. Yeah. That symbiosis, basically. So perhaps something in the tradition also says, okay, start for the symbiosis, go mm-hmm. for it. You know what? We'll, well, just do that for a year. And, and maybe there's an understanding that after that it's inevitable. Maybe the whole idea is you need to really kind of fulfill the stage so you can move on to the second stage. A couple that doesn't have... So the second quote I prepared talks about
1: this idea directly. I think I'll bring it now. Do That's it. Okay.
0: Go for it, please. are like
1: we're, we're, we're talking about um, something that I wrote about the ceremony. Please. So in the Jewish wedding ceremony, I'm one of the most... Almost every single ceremony will be up. There'll be the breaking of the glass. Right. right? Very symbolic. Everybody knows it, right? right. So basically, the, the groom is given a glass, puts it on the floor, steps on it. Everybody sings Mazzalto, right? Right. So, um, I talk in the book about the glass as representing the love itself,
0: mm.
1: and the stepping on the glass as representing not what the groom is doing to their love, but what life does who are symbiotic romantic love. Mm. I want to read from the book. After getting married, some couples wonder where those intoxicating feelings of being in love went. The breaking of the glass anticipates this feeling of disappointment, reflecting the intuitive knowledge that getting married is a major transition. Under the chuppah, the groom steps on the glass, not because he wants their elevated emotional state to go away, The groom breaks the glass in order to help his bride and himself understand that the feelings they have known until this day are about to move aside and make room for a new form of relating with one another. The breaking of the glass symbolizes the couple's willingness to let go of a mode of being that focuses only on their intimacy. Living under the same roof entails making daily decisions together. After getting married, many of the couple's conversations are not going to be about their dreams, but about the dishes, and the car, and the groceries. In order to work together well as a team, a married couple must learn how to support each other through the surprisingly complicated logistics of life. This transition can feel confusing or even disappointing, but it is through the building of the walls of their home. That a couple creates a space within which their values and intimacy will be expressed and sustained. The couple's excitement has led them to get married, but the sensibilities and skills that they will need from this day forward are different. Now the couple must let go of calling each other five times a day and invest in remembering to take out the trash. Mm. When creating a home together, attention to detail becomes important and significant. And then they go on to talk about how it seems that we move from being in love and then now real life. But I think being in love is really important. I don't think it's something to skip because in this context, an initial state of being on an emotional high is important. It is our emotional elevation often occurring at the beginning of a relationship, that leaves an imprint inside us that has the potential to be a source of motivation in the future. Immersing ourselves in love shows us what is possible. Marriage translates those possibilities into a stable structure. So what I want to say is that I think we have to understand spiritually, psychologically, what falling in love is about. Falling in love? is about showing us what the city looks like. Showing us what's possible. Giving us a dream. Now I think some people make the mistake of, oh, but now I'm not in love. Well, then I have to find somebody else you know, that I'm in love with, or I have a fair, or whatever, right? But that's not how it works. The way relationships, the way spirituality works, is that I'm given this gift of having a bird's eye view, and being intoxicated with these feelings of wow. Now I get to take the shards of glass because, you know, life just broke our glass. And I get to try and put them back together. And through leaving the last brownie for my wife and then being able to take out the trash and picking up my kids and getting up. the, you know, All these little things are taking that wow and translating them into my life. I mean, to be a husband, to be a wife, I mean, is the opportunity I have in my life to really have integrity. To take the values I believe in and translate that into it. I mean, every day I come home like 5, 6 o'clock, I don't have energy. But my kids need me, my wife needs, where am I? So sometimes I'm like, I need some help. But I try to be like, all right, shower, dishes. You tell me, what do you prefer? That, that's what I think it needs to be out. Try and take the love that I feel hopefully here and there, that, that intoxicating kind of love, right? That being in love kind of love. In remembering that, having that in the back, in, 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 in living that.
0: It's almost like I heard you saying, also from what you read, is that that symbiosis, that falling in love gives us the, the why. Mm-hmm. Why should I be doing with all these years, what Marsh calls meaningful endurance. Like I need to have a little bit of that good stuff, of that intoxicating love, to remind me as I'm washing the dishes and I'm waking up to change the diapers. Like this is why I'm doing all.
1: I think the intimacy a couple share it needs to have that quality. Yes. In intimate moments, sometimes they're far and few between. But when they're really nourishing, they give me the energy. And also with children, when those moments of closeness, of adoration, of, of just melting into each other, right? Those moments, are, I'm usually yelling at my child to get him to the shower, right? Yeah, right? But those moments before they go to bed, or before, right?
0: Make everything it. So it's on one hand, if I'm going back to your book, it's on one hand, cherishing those moments mm-hmm. and making them deep and profound and make, making their input really strong, and on the other hand, preparing ourselves for the next phase.
1: Not expecting that those moments be the majority. Yes. And understanding that I need it to have the wherewithal, the integrity, the tenacity, to live my daily life, life according to my values, even though I'm not always getting exactly what I want. Because if I don't do that, I'm not going to have those moments. The home we build with all the details and all the money and all the stuff, right? That's what allows intimacy, a couple of all you even say God to dwell. I should make a re- actually I should feel like a
0: I think it's really interesting from summing up this conversation. It's, uh, it's radical about this book, especially from couples. It's not, and they lived happily ever after. I think it's a very aware, eyes open kind of uh, book slash manual slash textbook, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. to kind of appreciate what there is. I'm going to think, and actually, going back to the title, it's a ceremony. It's the first year. Like eight this god of love, the following in love, mm-hmm. really, you know, making that really deep. And then,
1: I just want to tweak a little bit and say I live happily ever after I just work really hard for it and I think we can all work really hard for it and it's not only happily ever after but I think I, I'm optimistic. Also, yeah. i optimistic I think it's happily ever after and I think it's hard in between yeah. but I, I love people. I don't always of my wife every single second because she really drives me crazy. But I love her and I love being married. That's the overall absolutely.
0: That's a wonderful thing to end this conversation. And just before we end, where can we get the book? Where can we hear you speak? A little bit about your speaking, what are you doing with this book?
1: Um, So the book is out. Um, It's in the States. It's in Britain, South Africa, and Israel. Jewish bookstore, it should be there. Um, It's available online, Amazon. Um, Jewish Marriage by David Lester, order the book, give me a five-star review, um, also on Feldheim. Um, And I'm available for speaking. I'm planning on going to the States soon, Um, speaking in shuls, different events. Um, I I speak to singles. I speak to newlyweds. I do personal counseling. uh, And I also speak to groups of therapists and educators about the importance of marriage education and relationships and how central.
0: And your contact information will be right. It's on my Facebook right? page. Right? So, yeah. And I'll so, also put everything about language. Please do. I just want to thank you for taking the time and kind of sharing your journey and your vision. And I thought the way you said it is I, I live, I'm living happily ever after. We just don't hear that a lot from mm-hmm.
1: And I,
0: what I like about you you say that is, it's living happily ever after and it's hard work. And I think that's a really important message that uh, you don't hear often. And congratulate you on this book. with a lot of success, and I'm encouraging all of you out there to go read it and, you know, get up a session and go through a to speak. And so I was a servo manelli. This was a potential state, and I'll see you all next time. Thank you so
1: much for having